The following program is sponsored by Friends of Life Outreach International. Best-selling author Sheila Walsh helps us know what to do to keep fear from paralyzing us when God calls us in a new direction. But you know, 25 years later, I understand now what I didn't understand then. It's never been about you and I getting it right. It's about showing up and let God do what only He can do. Learning that it's okay not to be okay, next on Life Today. Welcome to Life Today. I'm Sheila Walsh, and I'm so glad you could join us. If somebody asked you, um, what's your pet fear? Like, what's the thing you're just like, oh, no way. You know, it might be spiders. It might be roller coasters. Well, for me, growing up, it was snakes. I had a thing about snakes. They just terrified me. I once saw this movie about a big snake that ate somebody, and I was done. Well, then you have a son. And my son, Christian, um, a couple of years ago said, hey, mom, do you think I could possibly get a snake? And I'm like, a snake? And he was like, yeah, I found this beautiful ball python and he's so pretty. So my love for my son is greater than my fear of snakes, marginally. So he got this snake he called Ramen the Danger Noodle. No idea why. And I actually learned through handling this little snake with my son, to kind of put my fears, you know, make them go on the back shelf. But when I think about fears, um, I think about what are the fears that stop you from being the man, the woman, that God maybe has called you to be? You know, maybe, for example, you feel like you have a gift of, of teaching, or you wish you could have a small group in your house, or you want to do something for God, but the thing that holds you back are the what ifs. What if I do this and it's a disaster? You know, what if I reach out and I make a fool of myself? One of the things I think is one of the most beautiful things about being in relationship with Jesus Christ is we get to, to reach out and to try. And if we fail, big deal, we fall flat and we get to get up and start again. That's one of the reasons I wrote this book. It's okay not to be okay. And one of the main chapters is simply called Facing the What Ifs. We had um, a group of our friends at Life came in and spent a couple of days with me. And we basically just worked our way through the eight steps. But maybe this is one that will connect particularly with you. Watch this. the what ifs, even if you're afraid. Face the what ifs, even if you're afraid. One of my, how many of you like the, the movie, The Wizard of Oz? You don't like The Wizard of Oz? <laughs> Flying monkeys, nightmares right here. <laughs> well, I love The Wizard of Oz, but when, and really I like it because of the cowardly lion. I just think he's adorable. And one of my favorite quotes from The Wizard of Oz is this. The cowardly lion says, all right, I'll go in there for Dorothy. Wicked witch or no wicked witch. Guards or no guards. I'll tear them apart. I may not come out alive, but I'm going in there. 
There's only one thing I want you fellows to do. So the Tin Man and the Scarecrow ask, what's that? The Cowardly Lion says, talk me out of it. <laughs> I love that, I think it's great. <sighs> but fear, you know, fear is a very real thing. The what ifs, what if I do this and that happens? What if this happens? And I love this exhortation, 2 Timothy 1.7. This is an exhortation from Paul to Timothy. It's the last thing Paul ever wrote. And here's what he said. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. That's a promise. Fear is real. I mean, we all face things that make us just want to quit at some point. You know, we think, what if I fail? You know, what if I try this? Or what if I apply for this new thing and people don't like me? You know, what if I actually apply for something and I get the job and then I can't do it? You know, what if I start a Bible study in my home and nobody comes? Or what if they come and they ask a question and I don't know the answer? You know, all the what ifs that can hold us back from being the men and women that God has called us to be. A few, a few years before I came here to Life Outreach, I was in Kenya working with another mission organization and we'd had an incredible trip. But at the end of the trip, our host said, would you like to have an all day safari in, out in to see all the animals? And I was so excited because I don't like zoos and I don't like circuses. Because I always think, so hard to see a lion. I mean, I know that sometimes I'm not against them, so don't write to me because you run a zoo. <laughs> it's just there's something beautiful about seeing them in their natural habitat. So I got up really early that morning um, and I was sitting in the Jeep ready to go and the driver had a gun and I asked him what that was for and he said, I'll tell you later. <laughs> so, so we started out and the very first things we saw were this we turned a corner and suddenly this huge, I don't know if it's a pack, it's not probably not a pack, zebra. Herd. What is it? Herd. A herd. Well, there was a herd, a herd and a half actually. <laughs> it, and it was amazing and they looked, we were so close, they looked like they'd been freshly painted, just black and white and black and white, it was beautiful. And then we saw giraffe and they're so gentle and graceful. And then later on the day, we got close to the Mara River and there were these humongous hippos. So I thought it'd be good if I started singing. Mud, mud, glorious mud. And the driver told me to be quiet. And I said, well, can we get a bit closer? And he said, not if you'd like to live. I had no idea that they're one of the most dangerous animals in Africa. So the only thing we hadn't seen, and I was a little disappointed, was a lion. I really wanted to see a lion like in its natural habitat. But the sun was starting to go down and we were going back to the hotel. And then we suddenly, standing by itself, we saw a single impala, which you never see. I mean, they're always in herds together, but this, it was this single impala and it was frozen to the spot. And I said to the driver, what's wrong with it? Why is it not moving? And the driver said, look over there. And I looked in the clearing of the trees and there was a lion. And the impala had got separated from the rest and knew the lion was there and was absolutely 
frozen. But here's the interesting thing he told me. An impala can run twice as fast as a lion, but it's fear that freezes it to the spot. Isn't that fascinating? If that impala had just got out of there, the lion didn't have the hope of catching it, but fear had that poor animal frozen to the spot. I think sometimes, you know, fear can be a good thing. I mean, fear can protect us at times, but, but like that impala, it can paralyze it. I saw that um, in myself in 1996. I was invited to join a conference called Women of Faith. Now, up until that point, I had never spoken in my life. I, when I graduated from seminary in London, I worked with the BBC for a few years. I co-hosted a live rock show called The Rock Gospel Show. Um, I was a contemporary Christian artist, and then I'd worked for the 700 Club for five years. But the thought of standing on a stage with a microphone and talking to a bunch of women <laughs> terrified me. So when he called and Steve Arterburn, who was the founder of Women of Faith, said, you know, we've started this small thing for women. Um, we've got Mar Barbara Johnson and Lucy Swindoll and a couple of others, and we'd love you to join the team. And I said, absolutely not. And, but he kept calling back. And then he came up with like the lowest blow. He said, would you pray about it? <laughs> so I did. Um, and Barry and I both prayed about it. And Christian was just, I mean, I was still pregnant at the time. So for the first conference, Christian would be six weeks old. But the more we prayed about it, the more we felt the Lord say, yes. So I said, okay. Now I would love to tell you that I got on the platform and it was as if Charles Spurgeon <laughs> had shown up himself. It was awful. It was a huge arena and they had these big jumbotrons you know, so that you can see. I didn't know they were there. And halfway through my message, I suddenly caught sight of myself. <laughs> I mean, it's like I looked like a monster. It was huge. And I started to laugh. And then I noticed that the back of my hair was all wonky. I mean, it was just, <laughs> it was just a disaster. And I, I remember all the things that made me say no. What if I can't rem remember my message? You know, what if I freeze on stage? If only I just kept talking and instead, you know, what if I say something that's not in the Bible? Or what if I need to use the restroom halfway through my message? Uh, but you know, 25 years later, I understand now what I didn't understand then. It's never been about you and I getting it right. It's about showing up and let God do what only he can do. I remember Chuck Swindoll giving me some advice. He said, hey, don't worry. The key to ministry is two words, show up. And there's something powerful about that. When we think, boy, we've got it together and we've got something to give the world, you know, we probably should stay home and have a nap. <laughs> but when you realize, you know, Lord, here I am. And you let God do what only God can do. When I was a young girl, one of my friends went to Israel on a trip and she brought me back this little necklace. It was a little glass ball and inside was a mustard seed. You know, and they're tiny. And inside was that scripture, Matthew 17, 20. I tell you the truth. If you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there and it would move. Nothing 
would be impossible. Now, I spent probably the next 20 years thinking how impossible it was to move a mountain. But it's God who moves the mountain. We just need a tiny little bit of faith. See, I was concentrating on this huge obstacle and thinking, there's no way. I had the privilege some years ago, I don't know, did you ever um, meet Elizabeth Elliot? Elizabeth Elliot was an amazing woman. I had the privilege of interviewing her many times. And I don't know if you know any of her story, the story of her husband, Jim Elliot. Um, he was, he and four of his missionary friends had a passion to witness to a previously unreached people's group, the Alca Indians in Ecuador. Now they were known as a very violent um, group of people and no one had been able to reach them. So what Jim and his four friends did, they had a small plane and for weeks they would circle over the beach close to where the Indians were and they would drop little packages. They would drop some food and they had some notes written in what they hoped was the right language and they dropped those. And they prayed and they prayed. And when it felt like the right time, they said, okay, Lord, today, we believe that we're gonna have the opportunity to actually see these people face to face. So one by one, they were lowered from the airplane down on to the beach. Now, if you know anything of the story, you know how things went that day. The, the Auka Indians came out of the jungle with spears and killed all five men. But here's what I didn't know. Elizabeth told me, Jim had a loaded gun in his pocket, but he'd made a promise to God. He would never take the life of an Auka Indian until they'd heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. He could have taken that gun out and killed every single one of those men that were coming. But remember what he used to say, he is no fool to lose what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. So often we cling on to our life. Jim clung on to the very gates of splendor, knowing that the moment that he and his friends hit the sand that day, they were immediately in the presence of Christ. Here's the interesting part of the story and the part that honestly, I don't think I could have done. Jim's wife, Elizabeth, was left at that point with her 10 month old daughter, Valerie. Now I think apart from the intervention of God, I would have been on the first plane home. I mean, not only had she lost her husband, not only had their four friends been murdered brutally, you've got a little girl. I mean, I would have wanted to be home with friends and family, but what Elizabeth said was, no, God sent us here as a family and the job's not finished. She um, eventually moved into the area and she and one of the other gentlemen who died, sister, together, they led every single man who had killed their husbands into a relationship with Christ. Amazing, they stayed there till Valerie was three and every single man, man in that tribe gave their lives to Jesus Christ. And one day, Jim will get a chance to welcome them home. 
asked her. I was like, Elizabeth, it's amazing. But can I ask you a couple of questions? Because <laughs> it just seemed, you know, the, the first part. I mean, once, once you've seen that God's moving and people are coming to Christ, but how do you get there? I mean, how do you go back there to the very men who've murdered your husband? And I said, well, what did you do? And she told me, well, here's the deal. Back then, my life was completely controlled by fear. And every time she wanted to step out in faith and make a move toward getting closer to these people, fear stopped her every time. And she said, but then her best friend told her something that changed her life. Her friend said, why don't you do afraid? See, she was waiting, as I would have been, for the fear to go and the faith to rise. Her friend said, why don't you step out and do afraid and see what God will do. Isn't that amazing? Just do it afraid. Elizabeth was waiting till she felt she had the courage to be able to go to those very people that had taken her husband's life. And understandably, she was terrified. But she began to understand a life-changing principle that with, when Christ is with you, remember what the Psalmist David said, Psalm 27, verse one, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Sometimes it's as we walk out in faith with our fears that we see the way that the Lord can deliver us in those places. I don't know what might be in your heart or maybe something, a dream that you had at some point in your life. And you think, you know, I would love to do that, but I'm so aware of my own human limitations. That is a perfect place to start. Whenever you think, well, I've got this, usually we're in trouble. I'm so moved by our brother, the Apostle Paul, when he talked about the fact that even though he had had this blinding revelation of the risen Christ, even though he'd had this amazing encounter where he was taken up into a place he calls paradise and saw things he couldn't tell us about because they're too great, that he was honest enough to say, you know, I prayed that God would take away this thorn in my flesh, but God showed me that his strength is made perfect in weakness. So whatever you feel is on your heart that God might be calling you to, take Elizabeth, take our sister's advice and do it afraid. One of the things I love to do a little afraid is to go into some countries where there's a lot of danger, but there's a lot of need. And with Christ, we can go into those places and say in Jesus' name, we are here to reach you, to rescue you and to restore you. Would you watch this? You know, I'm staying with our crew at a really nice, <clears throat> what I would consider a kind of higher end hotel in Southeast Asia. But every single one of us last night had a card slipped under our door, um, very clearly offering um, sexual services. It's just, I mean, I consider it an absolute hellish onslaught here in Southeast Asia. Very young girl in the picture, made up, and as if she was smiling. But we have talked to these girls and their life is not one that they smile about. 
but I was told by one of the girls, if we don't smile, then we are, we are punished. We are physically beaten up. ហើយខ្ញុំទឹកខុចទៅសាលាតាតែយើងដឹងខ្លួនយើងមែនដល់ <coughs> There's such, such pronounced evil here, and that's why I think that our presence here, bringing the light and the fragrance of Christ and the message of the gospel is so important. It is so critical that we are here reaching out in Jesus' name now. That little girl, that sweet little girl I'm hugging there, she's 11 years old. Let me just give you a little context to understand what's happening there. Because maybe you're thinking, well, why did they get involved with that at all? So often these are the poorest of the poor families. And if one gets sick, the mom or the dad gets sick, and they have to get medicine, they have no money, so they have to take out a loan. And then when the people come back and they want their money, they don't have because the interest is made up and up and up, you know, the way that goes. So the only choice some of these girls have is to go out on the street. Now, technically, they go out to try and gather cans up because they can sell like eight cans for a quarter. But what so often happens, as you saw in that piece, is that they're taken by some friendly person. Would you like a soft drink? Would you like a meal? You look hungry. And the food or the drink is drugged. And a 10, 11, 12-year-old girl wakes up in a horrible room with some man she's never met in her life before and realizes that precious gift of, of waiting for the one that she's meant to marry has been robbed from her. And from that moment on, these girls feel hopeless. They feel used. And it was such a severe mercy, is the only way I can describe it, to go and spend time. Now, you might be asking, well, why are you sitting in a van? Some of the areas are incredibly dangerous. When we felt we could get out, then we would get out and walk. And Janice and I would just be praying up and down the street, praying for God to intervene. And then we would find a quiet place where some of the local people we work with there would say, you can come. It's a safe place to meet with these girls here. But so many of these places, the streets are so dangerous. One little girl I talked to said she was literally walking home and two guys in a motorbike reached down and grabbed her. And the next thing she knows, she wakes up beside some 50-year-old drunk man. She's just a child. You and I can change this. This is not a hopeless case. If you look at it just from the world's point of view, it's like, well, hey, why bother? Every single person is born in the image of God, the Im imago die. And if you and I don't determine that this is not gonna happen in our watch, who will? So we have set up this amazing way that we can do it. It's, we call it reach 
get to villages and teach these children before they're taken captive, rescue, go into the places where they're being held and get them out of there and then restore, help them to understand who they are in Christ. But we need you to work with us. Our goal, this is our last week. We thought we would be able to reach 2,500 children this year, but then some of our friends said no. We care about this. So a $320,000 matching gift came in. So that means that you and I in this season, we can rescue 5,000 children, 5,000. It used to be that if you gave $128, you would rescue one child. But now there's gonna be a matching gift. So if you can give $128, you're gonna rescue two children who are literally right now begging God to help. If you can only do $64, now with a matching gift, together with a, a brother or sister in Christ, you've rescued a child. Our goal is 5,000 children rescued because we have this amazing 320,000 matching gift. But we need you to do something today. This is the last week. Would you go to your phone? Will you give the very best gift you can? Behind the bright lights, there is a darkness where a world of violence and sexual abuse runs rampant, scarring the souls of millions of young children. With their bodies broken and hopes crushed, these children are trapped in a never-ending nightmare. With your help, Mission Rescue Life can shine the light of God's love in this dark world to reach, rescue, and restore children and young people to the beauty God designed for them to enjoy. With a generous opportunity of a $320,000 matching gift, your gift of $128 to help rescue a child will be matched to help two children. Your $64 gift will be matched to help rescue one child from the horrors of human trafficking. And a $32 rescue gift will be doubled to $64. With your gift of any amount today, we'll send you the Names of God Prayer Journal. From Adonai to Yahweh, this journal is filled with beautiful photographs to help you reflect on 31 different names of God found throughout Scripture. With your gift of $128 or more, you'll receive the Names of God Bible. This special edition NIV large print Bible is engraved with the many names of God, a beautiful reminder that the God we serve is infinitely good. Finally, please consider a gift of $1,280, which will now help rescue 20 children, and you may request a beautiful Bridge of Faith frame canvas print by Thomas Kincaid. This is the last week. Please call, write, or make your gift online. Thank you so much. This is our last week. We're going back to those areas, but I want to go back knowing that we are bringing help. And we have this phenomenal matching gift, 320,000. So if you're able to, to give 64, that will be matched. And you will be able with a brother in Christ or sister in Christ to rescue one child. If you can give $128, that will be matched. And you will know that two children have been rescued. For any um, gift at all, I'll be honored. I'd love to send you my new book. If you can send us the 128, we'll send you this beautiful Bible, the names of God, and a journal where you can write down the things that you were maybe a little afraid of, but then as you began to realize how big our God is, that you began to move forward in faith and saw God do some amazing things. So please, last week, please call today and make the very best gift possible. I'm Sheila Walsh saying thank you for being with us. God bless you. Mother
Tomorrow, Christian Music Hall of Fame's Russ Taff and his wife, Tori. She said, I will fight for you till you can fight for yourself. Wow. Life Today is made possible by the supporters of Life Outreach International. Your gift will be used exclusively for the exempt purposes of life. The ministry features specific outreaches as examples of the programs it supports and conducts. Gifts are considered to be without restriction as to use unless explicitly stipulated by the donor. The ministry is a member of the ECFA.